0: So this morning, I want to talk to you about a topic that over the year, some people have discussed with me, and last week uh, was a conversation that John and David and I had as well, and I thought it was good to talk about this, And, and this is the kind of topic that churches need to talk about. The question this morning is, what happens after this life? In other words, what happens when you die? Because let's face it, friends, we've got one thing common, all of us. We will die. If the Lord doesn't come back before we die, everybody will die. You say, wow, that is a topic that I'm so afraid of to talk about. Then I, I want to even press more in and talk about it. Because, friends, death is not for us the final act. Death is not the final chapter death for us is a door into another world and there are so many questions around death and afterlife in the world today the world asks the question the problem is that the world runs to hollywood to find the answers and then you get people walking around and they don't know what's going on five minutes or two minutes after you die what happens to the body what happens to the soul but we see movies and we then tell these movies onto to other people and somehow we start to believe what the movies are telling us about life after death. And even more so, this is entrenched into younger children when they watch those movies with you. Because a child's forming years, when they grow up, is more on visual and hearing, not to discover for themselves not to sit down. It's not as if you can take a five-year-old and they read the Bible with understanding. It is the mental fa- fa- faculty of a person that needs to develop with understanding to understand the Word of God. So when your children watch with you those Hollywood movies about afterlife, the problem they It's good. So the problem then is that they build their whole doctrine about what to believe about this, what Hollywood is giving to them. So here is the question. If somebody at your workplace comes to you and they say, what happens after death? Are you ready to answer them? Are you ready to talk to them? Or are you going to draw back on whatever Hollywood and people are telling? Not only that, then you find people in churches now who say that they died and they had a near-death experience. And they come out and they will write books for you and they will say, I went to heaven. Or some people say, I went to hell. One person even said, when he went to heaven, the Lord took him and walked with him through streets and they came to a gate and above the gate was the words written, the gates of hell. And you'd be amazed how many people in churches believe that. And if you do not believe in that, what they said, they're going to say, wait a minute, it is my story. How can you tell me I was wrong? But here is the big thing. The plumb line for you and for me is what? The Word of God. I always said, if it's not written in the Word of God, then you cannot believe it. So by the start of this whole topic, I must also say that this... This is much more than just one sermon. But because I've run out of time at the end of the year, I can do this in a five-part series. There's so much to talk about this. It just doesn't stop here. And I also do want to put in a disclaimer here. Okay, And that is that I by by far do not claim that I am the final authority on everything about death and afterlife. All I'm doing is I open up the Scriptures and make sense out of the Word of God. And what I'm going to preach to you today is not my ideas. It's not what I think it is. It's what I've read in the Word of God, which is backed up by Scripture, and then it's backed up by really good, solid, Word-based preachers, that I've come across in my life as well. There will be a lot of questions. And I hope that maybe after this there will be more questions. Because there's nothing wrong with questions, as long as you have a biblical answer to those questions. So are we in for a good discussion today? Now I also do want to say, there's a lot of information I need to go through. Now you're sitting there and you go, oh dear, this is going to push way beyond the hour. I'm going to try to keep it within three hours, okay? But we will see where we go with this. But there is so many scripture verses, dear friends, that I had to leave out, thinking about time. So the verse that I want to start off with, what happens after this life, is Genesis chapter three, verse nineteen. We all know this. It's written in the Word of God, and it's a promise by God. If you want to put it down as a promise, it says, in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Do we find that? In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Now the question is what happens after that. So I did a little bit of research and reading. The Hindus believe that you use fire to communicate with their gods. That's what they believe. You look into the fire and that communicate with their gods. They say the human body is a composition of five elements: Earth, water, fire, air and avoidness. Now think for yourself. if you look at a lot of sport events that happens. These days, they bring people in, and what do they do? They give honour. I've seen it with my own eyes. They give honour to the earth, they give honour to water, and they give honour to fire. That is based on Hinduism. They believe that you sitting here, your body sitting there, is made out of all of these things. You you say, but where does fire comes in? Well, that is the life that's in you. It burns energy. That is the fire. They say that the soul hides in the body and cremation is the ultimate sacrifice for a person. That is why they burn their corpses, their bodies of their deceased people. They also believe the first nine days the soul still thinks it is connected to the body and that is why you find soul wandering. Now again, if you think about movies that came out of Hollywood, you think about all of these things where they show how a person dies and then they show him as wandering around. I can't think of a specific movie. I think Ghost was a movie like that from Patrick Swayze, where, uh, you know, he was walking around after he died. It's all based on Hinduism. Hence me saying, if your children watch that, that, and they do not read the Bible, that will be the only reference point for them, and they will then believe that when people die, they still walk around and roam on the earth. Hence you find so many Christians who say that they believe that a person died, and maybe months after that, that person still visited them. You've heard that? I've heard a lot of that. So this is what Hindus believe in. They don't believe there's a heaven and they do not believe there's a hell. They believe that the soul experiences good and bad in this life. So have you heard about the phrase, it's hell on earth? So that's what they believe. They go, you can go through hell here on earth if you've got a bad life. You know, that's the hell you're going through. But if you've got good, then you go through the good as well. And they, they believe that it's only the great souls that get salvation. The great soul, they will get salvation. But the rest of the souls will get new bodies. Reincarnation. You come back as something else. So that's what the Hindus believe. The Islam or the, the Muslims believe in fate... That is the absolute belief. It's called the Dar or the Zamanor al-Ayam. And they believe that it is fate that determines the agent of a person's life or death. It's just all up to fate. Somebody died in a car accident. Oh, well, that was bad fate, isn't it? It was fate for them to believe, uh, to die in that way. And they believe there's nothing but life in this world. You see, their premise is from a wrong place. They say we live and die, and the only thing that destroys us is time. Now, if you sit down and you haven't got the reference of the Word of God, you will say, it makes sense. Just look at a person when he grows up. He grows older, and eventually what catches up with him? Time. Time will kill you. It's true. We've heard that phrase so many times around. Muhammad changed it a bit because he says that God gives life and death and gathers you for the resurrection day. So he comes very close to the Bible. But the problem here is, and I put it with a small letter, whose God is Muhammad worshipping? He's worshipping Allah. To them, it is the one true God. You and I, as a child of God, do not worship Allah we worship elohim what is difference between elohim and allah allah has no son elohim is three god the father god the son and god the holy spirit all three in one it's not the same now i hear so many times in churches that they say well we and the muslims we serve the same god no we do not his reference point comes from that And he he reckoned that the day of judgment, the body is judged and the reward is heaven. You've heard so many times that these bombers who blow themselves up, they say that is an act of honor before Allah and they will go to heaven and have 72 or 70 plus virgins and enjoy life in heaven. They are but deceived. They are but wrong. There is a special funeral for the people when they die in Islam. It's called the Salat al-Janaza. As you know, when they pray, they go on their knees on a little mat and they touch their foreheads to the ground. The prayer for the deaf doesn't happen by that. You don't go on your knees and touch your forehead. You just stand. Everybody in the mosque will stand. You say, why do I show you all of these different ones? I think it's important to see what is out there and what you find coming through Hollywood and being taught to our children, which is not fact. Buddhism believes that the body dies and disappears, but the mind goes on. It, it's, it's kind of similar to Hinduism, but there's fundamental differences here. They believe the mind has existed endlessly and continues on and on. So, so you think about endless past. The mind existed. Your mind, which is in your body right now, existed for ages past. Then you have people and they they say they come into a certain area and and it feels as if they've been here before. Happened to you? Happened to you? And then you go, well, you see there's a danger of conditioning one's mind with outside influences. There is the danger. The mind endlessly continues on. They believe also in the rebirth, which is the full enlightenment. This is what Buddha, Buddhism believes in. Everybody will achieve this eventually. They believe, and you're actually just on a on a journey to find this enlightenment stage. That's the ultimate goal. But these rebirths that happen, you can be rebirthed as a God. But they say, look, it's not good for you to be rebirthed as a God because then you will just be good, but you have to go through troubles as well to get you into a state of enlightenment. And that for them is the best to be born as a person again. So they believe that if you have to suffer, you can be rebirthed as a cat or a dog. Well... In some houses, that's not a bad thing. Because you know, some people's cats and dogs and animals have royal lives. They are like little gods. But poor old man who's been rebirthed as a, as a, as a pig. You know, what is a pig good for? Some will say bacon and eggs. <laughs> what about a little chicken? You know, here you were, you know, CEO of a company, you were doing so very well, and you had to be rebirthed, and you come back as a chicken, and now you've got to walk around the yard and go, pick, 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 and pick everything up. But that's your suffering, they say, and if you go through that, and and somehow you break through there, because you were a CEO, somewhere that mind goes on, think about a CEO chicken. Those maybe are the chickens who break through, you know, work a plan out to break through and get freedom. But now you're running over the road and bang, a car hits you and off you go. And you come back as a crocodile. You know, it is so serious that we can have, you know, just so much fun with it. But it's so serious that it is heartbreaking. They believe the body is trash and they have a powa when somebody dies. Now listen carefully to this, because I've come across this in the in, in people who, who believe they are Christians. They pray for the dead to go into a pure land or a positive rebirth. And when, the consciousness, uh, w- when you die, your consciousness goes into a dreamlike body for 39 days, and you, you are sort of walking in a trance, and you get hallucinations. It's all of a lot of nonsense if we sit here isn't it but there are thousands and millions of people who believe in it. the Jews the Jews and I'm not talking Christians here they believe that people have a soul which is called the neshama the soul lives forever and goes to heaven because they will tell you that look we are Abrams little children have you heard that one before and if you're Abrams child you go to heaven doesn't matter what you do Do good or bad, you go to heaven. You're Abram's little child and you go to heaven and and they believe that you give the body back to God and they get it out of the Torah. They get it out of of Genesis, which I've read to you. They say, for dust you are and to dust you shall return. A really interesting thing that I found that they do when somebody dies is they rip their clothes and they find it in the Bible. May I say, a misinterpretation temptation of the bible but they rip their clothes and they say that the, the the sound of tearing that gives more emotion to people the mourners but it's also that if you tear the fabric and you have to stitch it up it leaves a scar and so every person that dies when in life is taken it leaves a scar in people's lives i want to say to you if you're a child of god death becomes a blessing not a scar You say, well, that's hard to comprehend. I'm telling you today that when you're a child of God, you look forward to be with Christ. Death is no longer a fear. It becomes a blessing. I'm not saying taking your life, which the Andrew's government is now legalizing. I am saying that when God, due the process of time and due His divine intervention and and through what happens, death becomes a blessing to the child of God. Paul says it. He says, when I'm absent in the body, I'm with Christ. What a blessing that is. They have a Shiva, which means they mourn for seven days, and you keep away from all joyful things and so on. Now, Christianity also has got a belief, believe it or not. But there's two thoughts here. The one that we're going to touch on, and we discussed it a few times, is there's one group of beliefs in soul sleep. Soul sleep. And they believe that when one dies, you sleep and will wake up when Jesus comes. That, that means your whole consciousness go, it's like, it, it's like a power cord. You put it off and the light is off and it's dark. You do not function anymore. In the body, we know that, but also in the mind, in the conscience. It's really interesting to find that Jehovah's Witnesses believes this. We, we know all these witnesses, don't we? They come around to your house and they knock on the door and they're always beautifully clothed. And they are so polite. And they are so sincere. But let me warn you this morning that they are sincerely wrong. And do not invite them into your house because they've got a five-point plan. And invitation into your house is the second point. The third one is they get one of their elders to come and visit you as well. And by three you are so deep in and they start pumping you full of these nonsense and the nonsense doctrines they've got. So the Jehovah Witnesses believes that after death a person ceases to exist. First of all, if you die, where you die and there's blood spoiled, they believe that your soul awaits there on that spot. You can have the funeral far away, but they believe your soul is there and then eventually it it ceases to exist. But in the future resurrection, the souls are made again. You know, you've got to twist the Word of God. You've got to twist people's minds so much to make them believe nonsense like that. Because I'm going to show you the Word of God uh, later on. I start off by showing you the error, the falsity thereof. They believe in a recreation of the soul. The second group who believes that is the Seventh-day Adventists. Who's heard about them? The Seventh-day Adventists believe the soul is simply passive and resides in the memory of God. So you are sitting here in front of me, I can touch you, I can give you a hug, but you are just but a memory of God. How do you get that through? And, and look, they open up the Bible and they can show you a few verses. But I must say to you that the verses are used out of context. One of the verses they use as proof is Ecclesiastics 9 verse 5. They use this. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 says, For the living know that they will die. Do you know that this morning? Who knows this morning in this place that you will die? The living knows that. But the dead know nothing. So in other words, if you're a living one, you know you're going to die. You've got the mental capacity to think you're going to die. But the one, they say there, it says it right there in the Word of God, but the dead knows nothing. In other words, there's no consciousness to think about anything in other words you are sleeping like your soul is sleeping okay it makes sense if you look at it like that and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten now that's misapplied because it talks about the memory of the people of them, but you can apply it also that they say that they lost their memory. There's no more memory. But then you have to believe what the seven day Adventists and the Jehovah's Witnesses believe that you know the soul stops existing and it will be recreated again. But then they say in verse six also their love, their hatred, and the envy have now perished nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. Now if you read it like that, and if the way that I've explained it to you, it makes sense, doesn't it? You can make a point, based on that verse, that when somebody dies, you stop functioning, totally. Not only the body, but everything. Ecclesiastes 12 verse 7 says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit will return to God who gave it. But you... Caput. you can't talk you can't reason you can't anything it stops right there now let me just put this verse now in context so that you can see where this is coming from you have to read ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1 in fact you have to read the whole chapter so the the rule that we need to apply which i like to apply in this church is context 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 You cannot have the verse there and build a whole doctrine which takes millions of people away from God and believe in nonsense, but you didn't put it into context. So let me put it in context here. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1, that's where it starts. The writer here writes the following, he says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? And let me just say, I wanted to read the whole thing, but we like I said before, we're gonna sit here the whole day. I want you to go and read the whole chapter. So why do I say this brings context to it? Because, friends, the writer is telling us how things are from human perspective in this book not from God's perspective. He takes this view from where you and I are. And friend, from where we're sitting without a God, think of this, without a God, everything is vanity. That's the point he wants to make. That is, when we see it now, things that, People before us is built. Yes, we get a lot of benefits out of technology which evolves. But somebody comes in and he puts a lot of effort and he puts all of his energy in to build something and he passes on. It's vanity to him. People might get the building that he's built, but to him what does that building mean? Nothing. And this is where this preacher is coming from. And he sees it from the perspective of man under the sun. And let me say this. It is a mistake to use the Old Testament to interpret the New Testament. You cannot interpret the, old, uh, the old, use the Old Testament to interpret the New Testament. Because the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. You use the New Testament to interpret the Old Testament. Not the other way around. If you use it the other way around, you fall into error. Why? Because the new explains the old. The old is the shadow, and the new is the substance. So you cannot build a whole doctrine just based on a verse in the Old Testament so this is one of those things he sees it from man's perspective and then when you continue right through and you read right through chapter one two three four five what he's talking about and you come to chapter nine then you read for the living know that they will die seeing from a man's perspective that is right now think about this have you been to somebody who just passed away from a man's perspective you cannot see into the spiritual world can you you are just sitting next to what a corpse and i have due to my work as a preacher i have sat i've been in hospitals where people passed away i've been with people who had heart attacks and i'll tell you what when you sit next to that person what does it look to you it looks as if they are sleeping You can talk to them. Will they answer back? No. It's the same as when you sleep at night in a deep sleep and somebody talks to you, you can't talk back. All you hear is their breathing and you know they're still alive. So from that perspective, from man's view, understand now this verse when he says, For the living know that they will die, but the death know nothing. Why? Because the body is sleeping. They cannot see in the Old Testament into the spiritual side of things. Second proof um i've put the context before job one of these verses that somebody said to me well there's Job 14 for instance listen now what job says job writes down job 14 verse 7 for there is hope for a tree listen to this it is cut down he says there's hope for a tree that it will sprout again that its tender shoots will not uh, cease Though its root may grow old in the the earth, and its stump may die in the ground, yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. You've seen that happen before, haven't you? You cut off a tree, you think it's the end of it, and what happens? Its roots are still in there, the roots get water, and what happens? It starts growing again. Job says there's hope for a tree. Now he puts this comparison against the plant. He says in verse 10, but man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. And where is he? That's a good question. Where is he? Well, we've put his body in the ground. We know he's there. The Jehovah's Witnesses again will say, well, his body's where he died. His soul is where he died. His body's there. So he's there and then he's going to stop existing. They like to use this verse. Where is he? In verse 11 he says, As water disappears from the sea, and as the river becomes parts and dries up, so man lays down and does not rise, till the heavens are no more. They will not awake nor be roused from their sleep. You see, now they say again, their souls sleep there. They will not awake nor be aroused from their sleep. Until when? Until the heavens are no more. When is that going to be? When Christ comes. So if you look at that, you go, wow, it makes sense. Now he asks a question, he says, if a man dies, shall he live again? Good question. Good question, Job. All the days of my heart's service, I will wait till my chance comes. So let's ask the question, if a man dies, shall he live again? So again, you need to put this in context, like I've done. You need to go back to Job chapter 14, verse 1. Again, Job, like the preacher in Ecclesiastes, see and writes from man's perspective. Remember, he's in the Old Testament. He hasn't got the New Testament yet. He hasn't got Christ yet and seen Christ. Christ hasn't walked on the earth and died and went into the grave and risen again. He has got none of that. All he has is his experience. And the only measurement that Job has is to look at plants. And he says, they've got more hope than you and me. How terrible is that? How comforting is that if I stand here this morning and I say, you know what, trees and plants have got more hope than you. Do they? No. Now the context here is 14 verse 1. He says, man who is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. I like that verse. He who comes forth like a flower and fades away, he flees like a shadow and does not continue. You see where he starts? He again, like the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he starts from man's view. He sees it from man's view, not from God. So this is about soul sleep, but I'll answer that in another minute. Let's have a look now at Moses, for instance. Why is it not coming up? There we go. We see an example of people who didn't sleep like Moses and Elijah on the Mount of Transfiguration. Now they spoke with Jesus, didn't they? So they were dead, Moses and Elijah, but they were still in a mental capability to be able to speak to Jesus. And what about Revelation chapter 6, verse 10, where he says that they see the people after death talking to God, and why did they cry out? They said, how long, God, how long? These were people who were killed on the earth. So if we believe how the Jehovah Witnesses believe, or the Seventh-day Adventists believe, then we must say the Bible is wrong. Then we must say that Revelation chapter 6 we need to take out. I do not personally believe in soul sleep. But let me prove in the Word of God. There's a second thought in Christianity about death. Remember the first one says you're going to a soul sleep. The second belief in Christianity believes that death is only a door into another life. And here we find two, again, there's so many. Look, I say, like I said before, I can stand here for hours because there's so many offshoots of this. I'm just scratching at the surface here. And hopefully it makes sense to you. You see, Roman Catholics now believe in purgatory. Have you heard about Purgatory. Now, in purgatory, they believe that it is the condition of the soul of the dead to die with punishment. You have to go into a punishment. In other words, there's a waiting room for you after you die, and you will be punished for all of your sins there. And after you've suffered and you were purified, then you will be led into union with God in heaven. In other words, they say, your soul go into a, a limbo stage. Jehovah's Witnesses call it Soul sleep. Seventh-day Adventists call it soul sleep. They call it purgatory. You go into this holding room. I spoke to a Roman Catholic once, and again, I, I'm not trying to make fun out of it, because if it wasn't so serious, you can make fun out of it, but it is a serious situation. I said, where is purgatory? Where is it? Under the earth? Is it in? They, they, some of them can't even tell you. They say it's somewhere in heaven, but it can't be into the third heaven, so I made a joke that they must admit. I said, so we've got to watch out so that the airplanes don't fly into purgatory. (laughs) You'll have a whole plane full of people going through purgatory. Um, I do not believe in purgatory. So the question then is, after all of that, what does the Bible teach? What does the Bible tell us about this? So we go first of all and answer the question, what is man? To be able to answer that, you remember the Hindu said that man consists out of five parts. What does the Bible say you and I consist of? We find a few hints in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 34. Paul writes to Corinthians. He says, the wife and the virgin are different. And again, please, I parachute in here. I want you to read the whole passage for context. But he's talking about marriages and he's talking about not getting married at this point in time. He says the wife and the virgin are different. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in, look at this, in body and in spirit, that she might be holy in body and in spirit, but she who is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now it's nothing wrong with wives. It's a blessing from God. It's not degrading to wives. Christianity is the only, is the only I don't want to call it religion, but let's call it for the namesake religion who puts a man and a woman on the same equal level. The only one. Women and men has got the same rights before God. Not when it comes to preaching, but let's not go there right now. So he sees it right there. He sees the holy, both body. Now you can look at that and you can say a person is a dichotomous being. You know what dichotomous is? A two-part being. It's body and soul. And this is true, because your body is not who you are. Oh, praise God for that. Praise God, my body is not who I are, who I am. You know why, it's General? Because inside of me, believe it or not, I do have air. I'm just joking, brother. <laughs> But, but you see, it's a dichotomous being. But Paul goes one step further, though. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, he says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify, that means set you apart, you completely, and may your whole, listen to this now, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, no, Hollywood, you are wrong. No, Hinduism, you are wrong. No Buddhism, you are wrong. No Islam, you are wrong. The body consists out of three parts. Trichotonomous being, it means three parts. It is the spirit, it is the soul, and it is the body, made by God. Remember in Genesis it says, let's make man after our likeness and our image. Uh, image and likeness. So this is the likeness of God. Not five parts. You can say, you can say the spirit and the soul, as, as Paul writes it, he's not going to, because he, he writes both these letters, he didn't contradict himself, he, but you can say the spirit here is made up out of the spirit and the soul, when he wrote it to them that. Now, let us just take it one step further now to understand what Paul is writing here. First of all, the spirit is the seed of one's Intelligence. Intelligence. The Spirit is the seat of one's intelligence. What makes you intelligent? It is this, the Spirit. In Job chapter 32 verse 8, says, But there is a Spirit in man. You see that? There is a Spirit in man. And the inspiration of the Almighty gives them what? Understanding. God gives your Spirit understanding. That makes you different from the animals. Listen, we are not coming out of evolution. You are not a monkey now evolved into a person. God created you this way so that He can put in you and myself an understanding. He says in Psalm 32 verse 8, watch carefully now, He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. How can you do it, God? I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding no understanding which must be harnessed with a bit and bridle else they will come have you ever saw horses standing in a paddock close to each other and have a prayer meeting and every now and then they go hallelujah they can't do it because they haven't got a spirit and a mental faculty that can do and understand God but praise God friend you and I do have them we are not animals you are not a monkey you are not an animal you're a human being created in the image and the likeness of God with a spirit this you need to understand so the spirit is the seed of one's intelligence the soul is the seed of the emotions the passions and the desires The wants and the world plays for your emotions. The world is after your soul. The devil is after your soul. You know how it gets your soul because it it appetites the things that you like and you desire. Oh, I want to this and I like that, and so on. And it plays for those things. It connects you, you connect to the world through your senses. Have you heard about this thing? I found my soul, mate how did you find your soul mate well it's a person that satisfies your senses you connect to god through your soul in faith that's what you use and then obviously we formed from the dust now what about then wait a minute what about then the holy spirit how does that play a part in this how does the holy spirit comes, come into this Well, he says he sends us the Holy Spirit. Now, the word for Holy Spirit is paraclete. Paraclete. Paraclete is made out of two words, para and cleat. Para means to come alongside you. You know what the parachute is? Two words, para, shoot. Para means it's something that comes with you when you fall out of the air. What is it? The shoot. What about a paramedic? Where do we find that word from? Para is somebody who comes alongside you when you're injured and they give you medication. Paramedic. That is so wonderful if you come to the Holy Spirit now. He says para, it comes alongside you. Cleat. it means power. Oh, praise God, man, I get so excited. Are you with me right now? So the paraclete, is the Spirit of God which comes alongside your spirit, body, and soul to do what? To give you power. You say, wait a minute, prove that in the Word of God. Didn't Jesus say to His disciples, He says, go and wait in Jerusalem, and what shall you receive? Power. To be what? To be my witnesses. Who brings the power? Come on, the Holy Spirit, the paraclete the power so you look at the body yes you are spirit soul and body and you've got a spirit which is your mental faculty I'm, I'm getting so excited I need to slow down now man but here is the thing it, it, it comes with you to give you the intelligence now the Holy Spirit says this he says this I'm going to give you something better than the world's God they haven't got the Holy Spirit they're on their own They've got to look at Hollywood. They've got to look at Buddhism. They've got to look at Hinduism. But you don't have to. You've got the Holy Spirit. And you know what the Holy Spirit is going to do? He's going to come alongside you. And then He's going to give you power. And then you know what He's going to do? He's going to make you open up the Word of God and open up every single passage. And you're going to grow in the Word of God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I need to slow down. I get to talk fast when I get excited. But this is real meat of the Word of God so now we understand what man is the question now then is when you die what happens ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 7 says then the dust will return to the earth as it was but what then paul happens to the body or the spirit the spirit and the soul what happens to it and the spirit will return to god who gave it so where do you return you return to god but there's now a a little bit of a problem What if you have sinned and you're a sinful man? Because in God's presence there can only be what? Holiness. God is a perfect God. He's a righteous God. And impurity will not be allowed into heaven. Okay. So now, let's lift the slayer a bit. Because he did give us a passage in the New Testament. Remember, the New Testament declares the Old Testament. Not the old, the new. And now he gave us a passage that lifts the slayer and shows us what happens when we die. I'm going to go quickly through this and read. We're still in good time. He, he, listen to this. Luke 16:19. 19. Are we, are we fine for time, everybody? Still learning. He says there was a certain rich man. Now, some believe this is a parable but I want to show you it's not a parable, because he uses the word certain, certain means there was actually a person like that, all the other parables, he doesn't say there was a certain farmer, he says there was a farmer, he says there was a certain man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and fed sumptuously, every day, well he was nice, he lived a nice life, which a lot of young people aspire to, But there was a certain again beggar, and he gave him his name. None of the parables gives a name, but this is not a parable. It's an actual story told by Jesus himself. He says, Full of shores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died. What happened? right after he died. Here we see what happens. The first book out of Jesus' words say to us what happened. He was carried by angels to Abram's bosom. This is the world which Job couldn't see, which the preacher in Ecclesiastes couldn't see. Now, Jesus Himself, the Son of Man, the Son of God, tells us this is what happens. He could see it. He was carried by angels to Abram's bosom. Have you seen no funeral? People might not even have noticed he died. His body might have lied there next to the road, decaying, and then they found him there and said, oh, you know, he's died. He didn't have anybody to pick him up. In Jerusalem, there was this place called Gena where they threw the bodies out to burn of the animals and some of them, and they might have thrown him in there or buried him. I don't, we don't know. But look at this. The rich man also died, and he was buried a proper funeral. People gathered together, came together, stood around, Oh, everybody came up and said beautiful things about this man, how wonderful he was. But it never says how he was carried on, was it? Now it says there in verse 23 and the beginning of to- and being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abram afar off. Now, notice, is this soul asleep? No, this man can see. He lifted up his eyes. Not his body, his body was buried. We saw that in the previous verse. The, the body was lying there waiting for the dust. Here is his soul. Here is his inner man, his body, uh, his spirit and soul. He lifts up his eyes, he saw Abraham, so in other words he could recognize Abraham. Then he cried and said, so in other words he could speak. He says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to, so that he may dip his finger in the water to cool my tongue um, to he could feel and also, I believe it was a Jew, this rich man. Why? Because he calls Abram father. Father Abraham. But Abram said, son, remember. So in other words, he calls back his, his memories. So he could remember. He says, remember that you are alive, you received good things. And likewise, Lazarus evil things, but now he comforted and you are tormented. And beside all of this, between us and you, there's a great cliff. A gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. In other words, you will be able to pass. Otherwise, they cannot do that. Nor can those from here pass to us. I like this now because all of a sudden this godless man becomes an evangelist. Have you noticed? His whole life, he lived just for himself. It's all about me. I want the fastest car. I want to buy a house and the biggest house. I want to bring in all my friends and show them all my things, my jewelry and everything. Man, he was just so full of himself. He didn't think about a poor man. He didn't think about his brothers. But all of a sudden, now he's an evangelist. Why? He says in verse 27, Then he said, I beg you therefore, Father, that you should send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abram said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, no, Father Abraham. But if one goes from dead, they will repent. And what does Jesus say of Abraham? He says, But he said, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded by one from the dead. What is Moses and the prophets today? It's the word. Isn't this so true that people don't want to even read the Word of God? Oh, but they want to see somebody from the grave. I'll tell you one thing, friends. You write a book and put it in a Christian bookstore and say, I went to hell and heaven and I'm back. Bestseller. Bestseller. They to hear for somebody who was out of death. Well, not even more because there's been so many people now dead and come back. But the first ones I remember back in the day, 20 years ago, there was a, a lady, she, t- she came to our church she was in a car accident and she died. Man, I'll tell you, the church was packed. Packed. I haven't seen so many people in our church. I thought, what's going on here? Next Sunday, normal service, I've church not there. But they want to see somebody who's coming out from death. No, friends, the word of God. Now, let me hurry on. You see, this is what we need to understand. These people, Abraham, and they all were sitting in Hades, was like a jail to them it was death had a key and I'm going to show that to you this was before the cross and they were captured by death this means that the man who was in torment was there and Abram was there and in the middle there was a gulf that they can't go so in other words you can't escape the torment it's not purgatory it's not purgatory you can't escape it to go and spend some time with Abraham into what is let's call it paradise because I'll show you why I say it's paradise. So under the earth in Hades, there was this place of torment and paradise. One is for comfort. Abraham says it himself. And you can't go between the two places. Now, we need to understand why I call it paradise we go to the word Luke chapter 23 verse 42 remember Jesus hanging on the cross they curse him he turns to one man who says to him please forgive us please forgive me because you don't deserve to be there that's my words my and then in verse 42 Jesus said to him he said or he said to Jesus Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom your kingdom now now Jesus could have said Jesus said to Masudli, "I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise." He didn't say you'll be in my kingdom. You've noticed. He said you'll be with me in paradise. Where was paradise? Paradise at that point in time was where Abraham was, underneath the earth. Why? Because death still captured them. Nobody conquered death yet. That's why I say this happened before the cross. Before the cross. Now let's lift the curtain a little bit more in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. Jesus in His own words says the following. He says it before as well, but it's like I said, there's so many scripture verses. When He appeared to John in the Isle of Patmos, He says, I am He that, is, that lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And listen to this. Have the keys of hell and of death. He's got the keys of hell and of death. What did he do? He was the first one who was dead and then he was resurrected out of the dead. So he's the first one to break open the door. Let's call it that. But it's called a key. So remember, this is before Jesus died. Now we see what happens in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7. Jesus Christ was risen from the dead. He walked with the disciples for a short while and then what happened one day? He was taken up on the clouds. He ascended on high. Paul writes about this in Ephesians 4 verse 7. He says, But to to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore he says, When he ascended on high, Who is the he? It is Jesus. When he ascended on high, Look at this now. He led captivity captive. What's he talking about there? He led captivity captive. Before the cross, who was the captivity and the death? Abraham, Lazarus, the rich young man, uh, the, the, the poor beggar. And you can name them David. You can name all of the Old Testament. A uh, lot, uh, lot, lot. Noah. You can name all of those people sitting there and waiting there. And now he says he led captivity captive. Now you might say, well, it's just stop there. We approve it further. Read on. And he gave gifts to men now verse 9 now this he ascended what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth again i give to you that he descended into this place where Abraham was he says who descended first and then descended into the lower parts of the earth he who descended is also the one who ascended far above heavens that he might fill all things all things so i'm I'm explaining to you the word of God this morning that there was this place which was Hades and Paradise before the cross. And everybody who died before the cross went into paradise, but it was still captured by death. Christ came and he had the keys of death, opened it up, and when he ascended on high, they went with him. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. He says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. There's no state in between this. He says, if you're absent from the body, you die, the body goes to the grave, you, the soul and spirit, will be present with the Lord. Present with the Lord. Hebrews 9, 27, and and as it is appointed for men to die once, after this comes judgment. Judgment. So when you die, I finish with these words there's a funeral for your body it returns to the earth i absolutely believe in the word of god teaches that your soul and your spirit lives on and will be conscious you will go to heaven your spirit and soul will go to heaven where christ is we will be with him paul says your body goes to the earth paradise is with jesus right now we will wait for the resurrection now this is why I said there's so much more and I've run out of time. The resurrection will happen where your spirit and your soul will be resurrected with this earthly body. Now, friends, there's, there's some things in the Word of God which I can't explain. Because somebody said to me, what about somebody who died 100 years ago and the body is dissolved into... Well, God first, when He made, He made people out of dust, out of nothing. And He can surely call a body back out of nothing. I, I can't dabble into that, but I know God can, and the Holy Spirit returns to God. I think I've said enough for today. It's a lot in there, isn't it? We've done it good in time, didn't we? Have we learned something today? And again, like I say, I do not hold to be the final authority on this. I know that it might have opened up a lot of more questions, and praise God, questions is always good. Um, so let's pray and then we'll sing heavenly father we thank you this morning for your word your word is a light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path and father this morning i thank you lord that that we've got a, a first of all father we've got the assurity and the confidence that jesus died and conquered death and by that he opened up a pathway for us to be with him forever